Welcome to the Viewpoint Podcast Network. We are a young adults group at Valley View Bible Church in Paradise Valley, Arizona. We meet Thursday nights at 7 o'clock. Find us on Instagram at viewpoint underscore VVVC for more info on how to get connected. Um, with that, I'll open us up in a word of prayer, and we'll really jump into James chapter 4. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening that we get to be with you. God, I pray that you would just uh, use me as your vessel. God, that I would just be filled with your spirit to speak your words in love and truth. And God, I pray that you would just open up our hearts to be receptive to the words that you have prepared for us, and that you would just bless small group conversation, God. I pray that you would help us to fellowship one with one another and with you and draw us closer to you each and every day. Lord, we love you and we praise you and it's in your holy and mighty name we pray. Amen. If you joined us here last week, uh, Josh spoke on the importance of taming the tongue as we went through James chapter 3. And Josh spoke about how it is uh, uh, very essential for us as Christians to learn how to tame the tongue and control the way we speak. Uh, the big question, one of the big questions that he asked and left us with is, uh, do your words properly reflect Christ or do your words tend to diminish the gospel? Do your words reflect Christ? Do they reflect the gospel as it is meant to be or do they diminish it? Today, uh, um, today we'll be again in uh, James chapter 4 and we'll begin reading verses 1 through 10. And James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot attain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gave us, but he gives more than grace. Uh, therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So this is how James starts off. And in these first ten verses, he focuses on this, uh, oh, he gives this warning against worldliness. If you look at your Bibles, that's what mine says as the subheading is this warning against worldliness. And really from uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 until Chapter 4, verse 12, he focuses on uh, uh, what some scholars consider the sin of dissension in community, the sin of gossip, the sin of not taming the tongue. And he warns of the dangers that it, it provides, uh, that, it, that, that it causes. So again, uh, last week we talked about how uh, uh, James talks about taming the tongue. And he talks about wisdom from above and this worldliness that he is now warning us of. It is earthly, it is unspiritual, and it is demonic. That's what the, the words that he uses in James uh, chapter 3, verse 15. 
He says this wisdom that comes down, that, uh, the wisdom that does not come down from above is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. James uses very clear but very harsh terminology here. And it's important for us to look at it. And so again, in verse 1, he talks about these quarrels and fights. He says, what causes quarrels among you? What causes fights among you? And in the shortest way possible, it is a divided heart. Our hearts are, are at war, he says. He says, your passions are at war within you. And what does war bring? War is traumatic. It is difficult. It is ugly, painful, and creates bitter hostility. And our hearts are at war with our passions. Our, uh, we have a divided heart. He says, you, de- you desire, and yet you lack, and so you murder. You covet and cannot attain, so you fight and quarrel. Both of these, he's saying, you have jealous hearts. You want what you cannot have. You, you envy others of what they have. Then he says, you do not ask, and when you do, you ask with wrong intentions. So he's saying, okay, now you're selfish. You are jealous and you are selfish, and he calls this adultery. Again, in, in James uh, chapter 3, verse 14, he says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. And in verse 16, he says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Again, when there's jealousy and selfish ambition, it is not pretty. It is ugly, it is vile, it is disgusting, and it tears everything apart. As we continue in in verse 4, he says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James explains how friendship with the world is enmity with God. You can't have both. You can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God. Because anyone or anything that opposes God, that is not with God, is against Him. Again, very strong terminology. Matthew 6, verse 24. Jesus says on the Sermon of the Mount, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I will even add to it and say you cannot serve God and the world. You cannot have your heart pursue God and pursue the world. It doesn't work out. Because what God wants and what the world wants are two completely different things. In 1 John chapter 2, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The love of the Father is not in him who loves the world. Because again, if you love the world, you're not loving God. You're not pursuing God. So we, I figure we ask, what is this desire of what we do not have? This covetousness, this jealousy, this selfish ambition... And ultimately, when we have that, when that is the priority to us, when the priority is focusing on what we do not have rather than what we do have given to us by Christ, it is saying that we have a lack of trust and a lack of satisfaction in God. It's like looking at God and saying, God, you do not satisfy the needs of my heart. 
My life would be better if I had what this person had. Be that stuff, be that a relationship, be that a uh, uh, good grades, whatever it is that they have. Uh, a stable, healthy family relationship. God, my life would be better if I had what they had. I don't trust you. I don't find satisfaction in you. I don't rejoice in you. I would rejoice in these things of the world. This love of the world, this devotion to the world is not a devotion to God. When we pursue these things, when we have this jealousy, this covetousness, and this selfish ambition. And in verse 5 of chapter 4, it says, God yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. God wants nothing more than to protect what is rightfully his. He created mankind with a spirit, and he deeply desires that our spirits worship him. That is all he wants. He wants us to worship him, worship what is rightfully his, what he paid for with a price, and that price being his own life. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit uh, uh, within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. I love this. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. That is the words of Paul to the church of Corinth. He says, God yearns, James says, God yearns after you. He longs after you. He seeks after you. Why? Because he gave his life. He purchased you with a price. Because he loved you. And he seeks after you. He redeemed us. He deserves our worship and our friendship. Paul says to the church of Corinth, he says, glorify God in your body. James says, glorify God in your tongue and your words. Glorify God in your actions and your lifestyle. Don't just say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I believe, and then how are you living your life on the daily, on the regular, when nobody's looking, or when the church isn't looking, when your pastor isn't looking, when your Christian friends aren't looking, how are you living your life? That is James's main point, is, is hey, how, are your words representing Christ properly, or are they diminishing the gospel? And again, he says, God yearns after you. He wants nothing more than a relationship with you for you to glorify him. In verses 7 through 10, I, I love, I found that he gives a list, uh, a couple commands. He says, first, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Then he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you and draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Three commands. Submit to God, resist the devil, and draw near to God. So to submit to God, what does that mean? It means to recognize His authority, that He is Creator, He is Almighty, He is God. And He has given us guidelines of how to live a righteous life. He has given us grace and the means to do so. And so He, get, he, he calls us to obedience. So we submit to God. The second thing he's, uh, James says right here, he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Sounds simple. Resist the devil. Just say no. Just walk away. Fight back. Resist. Don't give in to temptation. But how do we do that? 
How do we practically resist the devil? Well, going back, it says submit to God and draw near to him. If we submit to God and we're drawing near to him, we're pursuing after him, we're chasing after him, we're being obedient to him, we will find it will be a lot easier to resist the devil than trying to do it on our own. If we put on the full armor of God daily, if we're reading in Scripture, memorizing it, letting the Word of God be written all over our hearts so that when the enemy comes and tries to tempt us, to fill us with lies, do what, and deceive us and draw us away from God, we can stand firm on His Word, stand firm on what we know to be true. And we can't do that unless we submit and draw near to God. If you've been here for a while, maybe you remember our, our Trinity series that we began this semester with um, and talking about drawing near to God. And as we draw near to God, He is drawing near to us. And He draws near to us so that He can continuously draw us nearer to Him. God pursues us first. And He's been chasing. He's been yearning after us. And He says, draw near to me as I have drawn near to you. Well, that's what James is calling us to do. He's calling us to action. James, The book of James is a call to action for all Christians, all believers. To live by, to give us practical ways to live our lives the way we are called to do, the way we are meant to. So he says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and draw near to God. 1 Corinthians 10 says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Again, we are tempted. And we have been. Humans have been tempted from the beginning of time. From Genesis 3 and beyond, we have been tempted. And it says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. No temptation has come against you that someone else in this world hasn't experienced alone. So we can be comforted by the fact that, one, I am not alone. And whatever my temptations, whatever my struggles may be, I can know that I am not the only one that struggled with this. That God can love me. That God does love me. Then it says God is faithful. Reminds us of this promise that is, it, that is stated and shown in Scripture time and time again. God is faithful to His promises. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is always there fighting for us. And it says, He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. He provides us a way to resist the devil. And how do we do that? By submitting and drawing near to Him. If I'm not so submitting to God, if I'm not obedient to God, if I'm not drawing near to God, I'm not going to see the way out. I'm not going to look for it. I'm not going to maybe even want it. I'm just going to succumb every time. But if I'm submitting and drawing near to God, I am able to stand and resist the devil, not by my own strength, but by the strength that God has given me, that He has filled me with, that I will be able to endure and persevere. In verse 8 of James chapter 4, he says to cleanse and purify. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. These are Old Testament terms for ritual and ethical purity. To cleanse and to purify. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. To make ourselves, 
right with God is, is to submit and draw near to Him. To seek righteousness, not the world. To seek God, not the passions of the flesh. And James 9, uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 9 says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And when I first read this, I, I myself was a little confused. It says, why should I be wretched? Why should I mourn? Why should I weep? Why should I let my joy turn to gloom? It didn't make sense, but really what he's saying is laughter and joy should not be the response to, to sin. When I sin, I shouldn't be like laughing it off like, oh, haha, whatever. Yeah, I just, I just sinned. I just messed up. I should not be filled with joy. It, the, the, the only proper reaction to God's judgment is to be wretched and to mourn and to weep. That's what he's saying here. That is the response to sin. To understand the weight of what it means. Not laugh it off. Oh, haha, it's okay. God's grace, yeah, whatever. I so said I'm free to sin. God's grace is not a free ticket to go and sin. But it's saying, hey, even though you have sinned, even though you have messed up, I still love you. I still yearn after you. I still long after you. I still am pursuing you. That is what God's grace means to us. And then in verse 10 it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. He echoes Himself from what He says in verse 6. He says, uh, uh, God gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is not the only time Scripture says this. In 1 Peter 5, Peter says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. They, they, they quote uh, uh, Proverbs 3, verse 34. And so uh, Peter continues and says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. What James and Peter are both saying is that God's grace will be extended to those who are humble before Him. Those who humble admit, hey, I can't do this on my own. Hey, I am not worthy of salvation. Hey, I understand it was God who did the work. Christ who came and died and rose again on my behalf. I have to humble myself to recognize and admit that. So God's grace will be extended to those who are humble enough before Him to admit that and believe that and accept that as true. But God opposes the proud. He sends judgment to the proud and those who oppose him. God sends judgment to those who are trying to insist on doing things their own way, who refuse to submit to him, who refuse to obey and believe in him. These are difficult truths, but these are the truths of Scripture. So he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He will, it's saying he will give you grace. Carrying on in verses 11 and 12, it says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother judges his brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And so right here, James sums up everything that he said in the last chapter and a half. He restates it, he emphasizes it, and says, hey, just in case you missed it, I'm going to say it again. Don't speak evil against one another. 
Guard your tongue. He says to be doers of the law, not a judge of it, for only God is the judge. He is the able to save and to destroy. So who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge and condemn? He's saying if you slander your brother, you slander the law. If you judge your brother, you judge the law. To gossip about your brother is to gossip about the law. And God is the only lawgiver and judge. He is the only one able. He is the God, the creator of the universe. In Romans 14.4 it says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. The Lord is on your side. The Lord is able to make you stand. The Lord is able to give you a way out of temptation. The Lord is able to make you resist the devil. And besides, how will they know? How will the world know that we are God's disciples? Is it by how we judge one another? How we slander one another? No, Scripture says this is how they will know that you are my disciples by how you have love for one another. How we love. And are, is it loving to pass judgment on our neighbor? Is it loving to slander them, to gossip about them, to, to speak evil against them, to spread lies about them? Is that loving? Is that representing the gospel? Or like Josh said last week, are we diminishing it by the words we say and by the way we live? In verses 13 through 17, James takes a shift of topic, and he does so until uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 12, but we won't go all the way through this. He switches and he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So again, here there's this shift of topic, and he begins to talk about pride. This pride, this arrogance of planning for tomorrow, and and we'll explain what that means. Uh, In these verses, he's... Um, again, talking about pride, about my trade and my profit, my schedule, my life, my choices, as if I have a say in what will and will not happen by the end of this evening, by tomorrow, by the end of this week. To say such things, James is saying, is to not be dependent on God. To make these plans arrogantly, like, I will do this, I will do that. And he's saying, the way we should say it is, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now what we need to understand, what James is saying, is that we need to understand that we do not control the events in this world, in our lives. We have some say and control in what we do and where we go. But for all I know, when I drive home tonight, I could die in a car accident. 
Something can come happen. You never know what, what will happen in your life. You never know if, if something happens to a family member and you have to go and you have to go fly home and your plans for this week can get canceled because you have to fly home and be with your family. He's saying you never know and you have to be dependent on God. And what we do is we fail to, to recognize God's authority. My life is temporary by nature. He says, our lives are like a mist. We're only here for a short amount of time. We're here today. We're gone tomorrow. Our lives are short. James says, planning and investing, they're not wrong. But oftentimes when we do such things, we are arrogant. Uh, We have arrogant self-confidence. And we are boasting. And he says that these things are evil. They are not of God to boast and to be arrogant and self-confident. Again, this saying, if the Lord wills, referring to God as creator, God as sovereign, the sustainer of the universe who controls everything, who has the final say in all things. What James is saying is we need to be dependent on God, not on ourselves. Once again, this boasting in, is, is self, is, boasting in self is arrogant and evil. And then he closes out in verse 17. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. James closes out by saying he, he, he is referring to good acts that you do not do. Not just sinful acts that you do. He says, hey, you know what is right and you know what is wrong. And if you know what is right and you don't do it, that is sinful. Some people grow up not in the church. They grow up in other parts of the world and they don't know what is right and what is wrong. For them to not do what is right is one thing, but for us who are here in the church, who are learning about God, who are studying His Word, and we know what is right, we know what we are called to do, called to submit to God, called to draw near to God, and for us to not do it is wrong. We know we are called to love our neighbor. And we do not do it. We are called to speak life and truth. And we do not do it. We are called to be good stewards of our money and tithe. And we do not do it. We are called to boast in God and not in self. And we do not do it. James is calling us, challenging us to be dependent on God. To lean on Him in all things. Not boast about tomorrow, but boast in the name of the Lord. Boast in the one who has saved you and has given you a tomorrow, who has given you a today. Make ourselves dependent on him. Again, I want to remind us that James is saying, he's saying to submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and draw near to him. I'm going to close this out in a word of prayer and invite our worship team to come back up. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and this evening that we get to study your word and who you are. God, I pray that you would just bless our small group conversations, God, that we would just come together and, and, and help each other realize and understand what it means to submit to you, to love you, to pursue you, to draw near to you, God. God, I pray that you would just reveal yourselves to us each and every day and and just show us new ways of how deeply you love us, how deeply you care about us. 
God, that you would give us this reminder and that you would comfort us. God, I pray that we as, as a church, as a, as a community, that we as Viewpoint would just come together and encourage each other to submit to you. Challenge each other the way James has challenged the church. God, I pray that you would be with us and just bless our conversations that we're going to have tonight. Lord, I pray that your spirit would fill this room in this time of worship and that we would sing praises of you as we're reminded of who you are and how great your love is for us. Lord, we love you and we praise you, and it's in your name. Amen. Hey, you've been listening to a Viewpoint sermon on the Viewpoint Podcast Network. If you are interested in hearing more or getting connected to our ministry, make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen and to follow our Instagram over at viewpoint underscore VVBC. Thanks again for listening and have a blessed day.